Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 92 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Odin Mühlenbein. Odin is a partner at Ashoka Germany and lead of advisory at Ashoka Globalizer. Globalizer is an accelerator program that helps advanced social entrepreneurs from around the world develop strategies for social system change. Odin is a systems ambassador within Ashoka and also tries to promote the idea of system change more broadly. Before Ashoka, Odin worked as a consultant at McKinsey and co-founded two social ventures. So in today's podcast, we'll discuss a range of Odin's projects, getting insights into social innovation and system change. We'll hear what qualities social entrepreneurs need to cultivate to become successful systems entrepreneurs. And along the way, you'll undoubtedly get some interesting ideas and inspiration from Odin's strong expertise. Odin, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So to start things off, Odin, could you please share a bit about your background in social innovation and systems change and what led you to working in this field? Hmm, let's see. I think it was a, an unlikely journey to some extent. I started off uh, in philosophy. That's my background. Right. Um, went over to management consultancy um, and started doing some pro bono work for Ashoka on the side. Uh, and that felt actually more inspiring. So I, I switched sides, uh, became a full-time employee at Ashoka um, at this program that you mentioned already, Ashoka Globalizer, which is this uh, strategy accelerator program, um, and have been there ever since. Uh, before that, I also started two social ventures myself, an online fundraising and, and charity platform in Germany and a, a social venture in Bangladesh around affordable building materials. Mm. Um, and I like to, like it's it's not it's not on the same level as the Ashoka Fellows that Ashoka supports. Um, yeah. But I, I like to have some entrepreneurial ventures as a hobby on the side. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! It sounds like uh, you've been having some great experience there, and and you can probably empathise really well with the people that you've been working with. That's for sure. Yeah, that's just the idea. So um, it's always easy to talk to social entrepreneurs from a you know from a thought partner perspective. But yeah. uh, if you ever actually started to build something like an organization uh, yourself, you you learn that you cannot always uh, act according to textbook, right? So like, mm. you, you have to keep it real to some extent. And I think uh, being involved in some of these ventures has helped a lot in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. So tackling things from a systems change level, Odin, in a recent article that you wrote for Stanford Social Innovation Review, you stated that to tap the full potential of a systems change approach, we should not limit our thinking to large transformational changes. We should also include smaller, more targeted changes. So could you please unpack what system change actually means to you and the key points from this recent article? Sure. So the motivation for that article came from talking to lots of social entrepreneurs about this idea of system change. And 
there's a very common reaction to to this topic, and that's like people get into a defensive mode, and and sometimes that's because the system change is perceived as this large, like big transformational change, like I don't know, like getting rid of capitalism, mm. uh, changing the way education works from the ground up, these kinds of things, and and that scares people, or that that makes people feel as if they cannot really contribute to these huge transformational efforts, and. And that was always a bit starting to me because the strategies that we developed at Ashoka Globalizer have very different kinds of goals, much smaller goals, still systemic goals, but much smaller. And so um, I thought that might be a message worth spreading that the system change can be systemic without being big. Mm. I mean, systems can be very small, right? I mean, a, a cell in the human body is a system, a human is a system, a city is a system, a neighborhood is a system, all these things are systems. And in order to achieve system change, you don't necessarily have to operate on a global level, on whole industries or, or these kinds of things. Yeah. So to mention just a few examples that we developed in the Globalizer program, uh, I, I just take new ones because we just had a recent uh, cohort in the Globalizer program oh, um, and also to give people an incentive to take a look at the article afterwards. So there's, for example, Andres Rubiano, um, who is taking a look at the trauma care system in the Andean region. Mm. And his intended system change is to establish um, new new medical standards for procedures in that trauma care path mm. so that less errors occur and, and some inefficiencies are, uh, are smoothed out. And I mean, improved standards in the trauma care path in the Andean region, that doesn't sound that sexy, like, but but it's actually going to save lives, yeah. and um, and it is going to it is going to affect the system, namely the trauma care path in the Andean region, and so that's a perfectly fine system change that a social entrepreneur can achieve. Or in the healthcare system in Egypt, patients should go to general practitioners first before being redirected to specialists, which mm. is where they go to right now um, in the very beginning. And that causes a lot of inefficiencies. And so this this very small change right? in, in one healthcare system in one country, people go to one kind of doctor before they go to another kind of doctor. Mm. That's it. And it's, it's very smallish, but still like that would that would revamp the way that that healthcare works in Egypt and that would save billions of dollars and increase um, health outcomes all like for the whole population. And so those are the, these kinds of mid-level, smaller tier system changes are what we design uh, strategies around. And when you when you package it like that, people are much, much less um, anxious when it comes to system change. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, I can do that too. I have something in mind. Uh, that sounds achievable, uh, and so that that helps us in getting more people on board with this idea. Mm, fantastic. It certainly sounds like you're really passionate about making system change accessible to people. So how do strategies for system change then differ from traditional strategies for organizational growth, for example? So here we are getting to the crux of it because um, uh, so far we have only been talking about the goal, right? So yeah. what do you actually want to achieve on a systems level? And the next question is, well, how do you get there? Yeah. And here the main bottleneck is um, getting convincing funders and the partners that you need for these kinds of goals convinced. And and that's a really difficulty because most partners and funders are still thinking in a in a kind of for-profit startup mentality, right? So mm. the they seem to think that you start small, you, you pilot something, and then you grow the heck out of it until you have you have basically outgrown the problem. Wherever the problem is, your venture is to to take care of it. Yeah. And that can maybe work in 
in very few cases. I, I don't want to rule that out completely. It might be the, a good strategy in some cases, but actually for most intended system changes that we work on, it, it turns out to be one of the least desirable options. Like mm. it's, it's just so costly, takes so much time, so risky, so many operations to take care of. Like it's, it's the last option we look at really. Yeah. And what we do instead is uh, we have actually summed this up in what we call the globalizer mantras. It's a uh, info system change. That one we have already covered. The second would be uh, focus on indirect impact. So instead of growing uh, and then reaching as many beneficiaries directly as possible, do it via others, like inspire others to do the work for you mm. or with you. And that's much, much more effective. Yeah. And then thirdly, in order to be able to have indirect impact, you need to open up, like give up control, involve others, change also maybe course depending on the feedback that you get from others and yeah. and so that that would be the personal development side of things and if you if you follow these three mantras you have a good shot at actually achieving something mm. so just to zoom in a little bit more on this idea of indirect impact so how can that look like for example instead of just pushing your services and products to all kinds of people and institutions you could uh, focus on knowledge work and, yeah. and just disseminate your insights so that other, others can pick it up uh, and, and adopt it to their situation. You can, you can work on ecosystem initiatives to strengthen the whole field that you're working in so that everybody can be more effective. Mm. You can be engaged in advocacy or lobbying um, efforts, even though you're still a social entrepreneur, but you know the stories you have to, you can tell the, the cases you deliver, like the, you, you can contribute a lot to policy efforts actually yeah you can be involved in movement building you can disseminate your new solutions openly like you can have open source solutions you can train others in doing what you're doing um you can do all kinds of things that are ultimately going to move the needle in terms of system change without you doing all the work mm. it's really interesting and when you talk about those mantras it sounds like you know one of the key qualities of a social entrepreneur could be being adaptive and and really uh, changing depending on the environment and how an initiative is working and and how therefore you respond to that so i mean which qualities would you say a social entrepreneur needs to cultivate in order to become a successful systems entrepreneur i mean there's not there's not three necessary skills or something like that like it's it's an entrepreneurial endeavor so yeah. you can get to the same goal in a lot of different ways um, but there are three that are hard candidates, like if I had to come up with a list. And yeah. uh, the first is just uh, kind of boringly systems thinking. I mean, if, you, if you're engaging with systems, it cannot hurt to have some overview of what the system actually is, mm. um, what the trends are, what the connections are, what the patterns are, etc. And this is, I mean, this sounds fancy, but it's just, you know, it's just a technical skill that can be learned like any other. Like I, I like to think about this as like, as golf. Um, like, you know, you might not be good at it at the beginning, but you take some lessons, you yeah. learn some techniques, you, you get a, familiar with a couple of tools, you improve your, uh, your equipment, maybe even, and then, you know, you, you'll be decent in no time. And, mm. and that is something like that is really not the barrier, but that is something that you might want to invest in if you want to, uh, have a systems level mm. impact. Then the second is the right, the right kind of ambition. I mean, this. There's no point in, in trying to do this work if you're not actually inspired and motivated to affect the system instead of helping the ultimate beneficiaries directly. Mm. Um, there's this, this saying um, by the founder of Ashoka, Bill Drayton, like the social entrepreneur is not content with giving people fish or teaching people how to fish. They will not rest until they have revolutionized the fishing industry. Yeah. So you, you must burn to revolutionize the fishing industry. Otherwise, there's no point. 
and ideally you would be motivated to revolutionize the fishing industry for the right reasons like mm. not not to be to, to be this heroic entrepreneur on a systems level but to to be a guardian or or a servant to the system to to see the whole and and what to mm. contribute to a bigger picture that kind of stuff like you you can get kind of philosophical on the second one yeah but that's what that's what makes people stick to their goal and actually uh, go after it for decades in many cases and that's that's really what's needed um for many system changes mm. and then finally um this is already uh also captured in the globalizer mantra so i get this idea of openness of of giving up control of um of keeping your ego in check uh, and this this manifests in many different ways like at some point on the journey you might be required to change resources with organizations that you might have perceived of as competitors before yeah. or um, you might have to give up decision-making power in a broad coalition that together can actually achieve a system change but you know you cannot do it alone so you have to give up some some decision-making power or like all kinds of ways that might that might I, I sometimes call this like the the ego devil inside of us like mm. it's, it makes him uh, or it's jump and get furious but that's just something you have to get over yep. uh, in, in order to have a shot at system change mm, it's really nice summary there and you use the analogy of golf before and perhaps even you know changing your golf clubs so are there any specific tools or methodologies then that you'd recommend to social innovators or social entrepreneurs to help them get to the root cause of problems yeah and so usually what you would expect to that question is you know here are three tools uh, go use them but actually the tools don't really matter mm. it's more the the mindset with which you approach this exercise and the tools are interchangeable right new tools yeah. are coming out every day like it's hard to even keep up but like but here are some some general approaches or mindsets that can help you so one really good skill is uh, is listening yeah uh, and with that challenging your assumptions like those two alone can can maybe get you 70 percent uh through, through the whole journey because mm. if if you just develop a system change strategy in your armchair in your living room and then go out and execute that that just will not work um, because even if you have decades of experience in this in this particular sector or, or system you will only have like a certain overview and um, many other people will know many other things that are also relevant and so you mm. you really need to to talk to many people, um, question what you believe is true about the system, question your assumptions about the interconnectedness of many of, of the drivers of the problem that you want to solve. And so mm. th that is a really good good general tendency. And then there are tools to do that more effectively. But but really, once you are on that journey, you will find the tools. So I, I don't worry about that too much. And another really useful skill is uh, storytelling. So since ultimately you will need a coalition of players to work together um, to achieve some sort of system change, you need to have a vision and, and a storyline on how to get there that, that can unite these, these different types of players. Mm. And so being able to craft these stories and to tell them together and to, to make them understandable for, to each of these different uh, actors that come together in, this, in these kinds of networks, that is really crucial. And like you don't have to be good at it yourself, but... Um, I think just realizing how important it is and, and to get experts uh, to, to help you in case you are not the perfect storyteller, that can already help a lot. And I mean, then there are like more technical things like systems mapping and systems analysis and these kinds of things. But yeah. really, if, if you're more of a nerd kind of uh, 
personality, then by all means, buy the books, get good at yeah. systems dynamics and do the system maps yourself. But if you aren't, don't worry, like just, just get somebody on your team who likes these, these exercises to do it for you. Mm. Yeah, it's some really good advice. So, I mean, I imagine looking at it from a systems change perspective, uh, you'd be an advocate for place-based solutions. I don't want to put those words in your mouth, but um, I'll let you respond to that. But keeping that in mind, are there any particular countries that you believe are really leading the charge then? perhaps as a broader ecosystem when it comes to social innovation and what do you think those countries are doing well that other countries can learn from? Um, I mean, now we have to, we have to generalize on a country level. That's, that's uh, going to have to fail, but let me make one point. I think many of the institutions that are leading the way um, happen to come from the U S mm. uh, that's I think for sure. So I, uh, or Canada, like uh, the McConnell Foundation, Rockefeller, um, the Co-Impact Initiative that was just announced um, by you know Rockefeller or Bill Gates, etc. Yeah. Even the Hewlett Foundation uh, have some like they have some really cool initiatives. Like it's it seems to be mostly extremely rich and big <laughs> U.S.-based foundations mm. that are just you know saying you know let's let's give this a shot. Let's invest ten million to see what we can achieve on the systems level. Yeah. And if I had to guess it, it seems to be this kind of venture capital mentality in uh, in the social sector that can make a big difference. Mm. Um, on many, for many of the continental donors and funders that I, I've been talking to, the complexity of the issues, the uncertainty that comes along with um, supporting changes in these systems, that is really hard to swallow for many of them. Yeah. Um, they don't seem to have the same degree of freedom that some of the U.S. institutions uh, seem to, to enjoy. And so maybe maybe that would be my uh, my message to many of the European funders. Like, just try to create some some space where you can just experiment with systemic initiatives. It doesn't have to be big, as I said. I mean, a system change competition or, like, smaller things can be done for, like, small six-digit figures um, to just start experimenting with this way of, uh, of funding social change. And I mean, there's, it, I'm, not, I'm not here to say that nothing is really happening. There are a lot of, of interesting uh, initiatives, actually. But when it comes to the, the, the big uh, decisions, like the hundreds of millions of dollars being invested mm. in these kind of things, that seems to come from the U.S. Right? Yeah, very interesting. I mean, in naming a few of those really big U.S.-based organizations, are there any particular people who you find really inspiring in this field and which initiatives do you look to beyond these ones you've just mentioned as strong examples which are actually creating the strong social impact and system change? I mean, uh, yes, a few names might come to mind, but actually I might hurt their cause by by saying them uh, because actually what, what seems to be happening in many institutions and what I hope is also going to happen in, at European institutions mm. uh, soon is that there are some systems enthusiasts who make some higher level decision makers to actually take a risk and start doing something. Yeah. And for this to expand, for this to happen more frequently, um, these high level decision makers need like they need to be seen as the you know the heroes of the story. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it wouldn't be a good idea to uh, to put the systems enthusiasts on a, in the spotlight here. But yeah, so if you are a systems enthusiast, uh, make sure that somebody higher up in your organization has something to win by just giving it a try and making it as easy as possible for them to take that risk. That seems to be the way forward uh, to get started at least. Um, in terms of so how can they achieve? I mean, you know, there are some some particular initiatives like. 
yeah, McConnell, what they're doing in ecosystem building initiatives or uh, the Hewlett Foundation with their democratic or like uh, strengthen, strengthening the democratic system in the US initiatives. Like those are really cool lighthouse projects. But but then there's also stuff like co-impact. So, I mean, they haven't even selected, I believe, their first projects um, to fund. Mm. But just by announcing that $500 million are going to be invested in system change, they have done the whole field a huge favor. Like, I think the $500 million would have been worth it, even if every single initiative that they fund fails miserably. Like, mm. just, just the message that this way of looking at social impact is to be taken seriously is probably worth, you know, the $500 million itself. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's a really interesting viewpoint there. So to start winding things up then, Odin, could you please recommend a few great books or resources for our listeners? Yeah, so, I mean, there are, as I said, right, new tools being developed all the time, hard to keep up. But yeah. there are two books that are a good foundation and that we recommend also internally to everybody who wants to get started with um, system change and systems thinking. And one is, um, so they are interchangeable. If, if you have read one of the two, you you know, you don't have to read the other necessarily. Yeah. Um, one is Systems Thinking for Social Change by David Peter Stroh. Mm-hmm. This is more hands-on. Like if you if you want to get more, like if you want to learn patterns and tools that you can apply to your work immediately, this one is probably for you. And then there's another one, Thinking in Systems by the great Donella Meadows. Um, it talks about this, like they have a, they come from the same discipline, uh, system dynamics, but but Donella's book is more more philosophical, more more wise, but less tangible and less applicable. So like, yeah, if you want to get started, pick one of those two. It will be a great uh, great basis for your systems journey. Mm, fantastic! It's not the first time those books uh, have been recommended, which is which is obviously a really good sign. But Odin, you've shared some really really valuable insights today, and we very much appreciate you sharing your experience and time. Uh, so thank you so much for that, and we'll look forward to touching base with you again in the future. That would be lovely. Thanks a lot for having me. It's our pleasure. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below. And remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter. Thank you.